Welcome, everyone. This is CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where March the 1st has arrived. It is uh, almost time to go to Brooklyn and um, and watch what, what, what figures to be a crazy ACC tournament. Uh, the Cavaliers have at least one more game uh, left in the regular season. I say that as if the schedule can change. Uh, where they'll close things out Saturday uh, against Pitt. Uh, it'll be London Perantis' last game. We're going to talk a little bit about their resurgence and, and as well as maybe get into some um, some all-ACC discussion as well. Before I do that, let me go around and introduce everybody. Out in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, Brad. Who Dave's on the board? At Who Dave's on Twitter? You're still trying too hard. I don't know what it is about my name that you you can't just say it like a normal person. You're like you're like Ricky Bobby in his hands. You're not really <laughs> sure what to do with him. Uh, up in Arlington, Justin Ferber is also back on the show as well. Welcome back, my friend. Glad to be back uh, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner is also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, so let's a week ago we we talked and. We were, I guess, hopeful at that point that the poo-poo platter that we had been seeing from the Cavaliers would not last through Saturday afternoon in Raleigh. Uh, Virginia goes down to PNC Arena, gets right offensively. Um, I, I think played a played an okay game, not very good, but not not terrible. Certainly, you know, wasn't in line with some of their other offensive um, Easter eggs uh, that they dropped, and they they really. I, I think set themselves up to, to play well um, two days later against North Carolina. Uh, how surprised are we to, to see Virginia come out of that stretch uh, 2-0? I think before the season, we all figured they'd win both of those games. After the four-game losing streak, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Dave, do you, did you, were you surprised to see Virginia come out of uh, those two games 2-0? And, and, and speak to me a little bit about just kind of where, how you feel about this team given what you saw Monday night. I mean, I think you have to be surprised after the basketball we saw the four games preceding it. Um, happy surprise, pleasantly surprised, whatever you want to be. It, um, you know, wasn't wasn't business as usual leading into it. Uh, I thought back to the podcast we did before the before the stretch of um, Duke, Carolina, Miami. I believe that's the right stretch. And I recall saying, you know, I don't see him going zero and three, but you know. You can, you know, I don't know if they'll go three and zero either. Well, they went zero and three in that stretch. Um, and you know, the NC State game, even though it was a it was a good win, I mean, I think we st- still saw some of the same problems with you know that we had seen in this in the losing streak. So to see him kind of get that corrected with NC State and to kind of push off the NC State run at the end, um, look, NC State's a good team to get get right against. Um, what a train wreck that program is right now. But I did not see the Carolina game coming. Um, I thought it would be a good game. I didn't think Virginia would get blown out. But in many ways, Virginia controlled that game throughout. Um, and if you had told me you know, a month ago that you would be starting four guards against Carolina and, and hold them to 43 points, I probably would have called you out on it. <laughs> I think the thing that still blows my mind about Monday night, and somebody's gonna have to somebody's gonna have to tell me about it. I, I do, at any point had had London been guarding Justin Jackson, like I, I feel like I want to like my brain says, oh that that makes sense, but then there's another part of me that says like no, that's some like 
that's some like Mick teaching Rocky how to fight right-handed kind of stuff. Um, and and not you know folks don't yell at me in my email, but I just feel like it was such a such a smart move because it allowed I think uh, Kyle Guy to not have to it, it basically freed Kyle Guy up to not have to to guard so much length. And I'll be honest, I, that that game com- was so complete from Kyle Guy that I. I want to see one more like it, and even if it's just Saturday uh, against Pitt, but I, I just want to see one more game like that, and and then I'm and then I'm convinced that he's he's taking that step forward, which is, you know, what all freshmen I think have to do at Virginia, right? I mean, they all have to do that. Ferber, were you surprised to see Virginia go two and zero? I believe I picked them to win both games in our previews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've already established sometimes <laughs> you pick games based on like what your what your. Oh no! Well, I also I also think I picked a lot of other games wrong, so maybe that shouldn't be the best metric. Um, I thought personally, I thought that if they could beat NC State and play well, then they'd have a shot to beat Carolina because I really felt like, uh, and I wrote about this before Saturday's game against NC State. I really felt like a lot of what was going on was a psychological. Um, I mean, especially in that Miami game, they were finding ways to get guys open in ways that they weren't before. They ran a lot of, and, and Tony talked about this, uh, the other night after the game against Carolina, but they're running some different cuts and screens and kind of going back to the basics of what, you know, made the offense so good earlier in the season and in past years, um, taking away some of that freedom of, you know, like, like options, basically like limiting the options for guys coming off screens and stuff like that, because sometimes there's just too much going on and it creates a clunky and cluttered offense. But I mean, I really thought if they could see the ball start to go in, um, I thought that that would be a good sign. I mean, watching that first half, uh, as soon as, you know, they started to make shots, Devin made a couple of threes, obviously Kyle got really hot. I thought that that was a really good sign for the team going forward that they'd be able to mentally you know, set themselves up for success where they can say, okay, you know, we're getting past, like, at least they can feel like they got over the hump, even if maybe there's still issues. I mean, we can't act like this losing streak and the, and the offensive issues that happened didn't happen. I mean, they still happen, but at the same time to, I think they just needed something good to happen. And when it happened on Saturday, I thought they had a shot to make it happen again at home on Monday. Uh, I mean, if you had told me that they were going to shoot 32% or whatever and ended up being and win, I would have said that it would have taken a great defensive effort, and obviously they got maybe an even better effort than great on uh, Monday night. There, one, I want to make make a point that you just said happened like eleven times within like twenty five seconds. Like happened, happened. That, that's good. That that was fun. Okay, you, you know what I remember? It, it, take take you back to the post Tennessee uh, environments and, and such. I remember Joe Harris telling me. And it, it was—I don't know if it was a video or if it was like a just an interview uh, after a game, but he's talked about they they simplified the offense and they put and they went back to trains on tracks, and literally what you just said about the way you kind of encapsulated what Tony said at the uh, after the post game about you know taking away options and actually simplifying it is almost like it was eerily similar. Like I started to have like like weird deja vu. That's almost exactly what they did. Um, after the Tennessee game, where they basically said, "Okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put everybody on the same page. We're going to we're going to essentially make you look more free by limiting your options." And that's exactly what happened, right? They they started to play better once they were kind of trains on tracks. Everybody knows where everybody's going to be instead of it being you know somewhat disjointed. And I think that's one of the things that as I watched them in that streak, yes, Duke I, I thought did a great job of refusing to be screened. I thought uh, I thought that there were definitely times where the offense just wasn't producing the same looks, 
But oftentimes I also felt like that not only were defenses playing better, but that they were um, that they were keen to tendencies that also for, for, for individual guys. And then and then those guys were not on the same page with each other. And so it was like it was a double-edged sword that the, that the offense was having to get around. Not only was the defense more prepared for what they were going to do, but then guys just didn't seem to be um, thinking the same thing. So maybe the simplification offensively had, had, a, had a great deal to do with what we saw. I'm, I'm like Ferber. I, I, can't, I can't tell you that if you told me they're going to shoot 30-whatever percent that they were, and, and they were going to win by 10. I, I just would never have believed it. Um, the numbers for that Carolina de- – the, the defense against Carolina that night – are just ridiculous. I mean, the stats and stuff, lowest since uh, 79, lowest that Roy Williams has ever had there. Um, the fewest, I guess, the, the, they were half of their, their season average to that point. They were 19 fewer than their previous low. I mean, that, that is not just like, oh, they had a bad night. I mean, Justin Jackson, who I'm sure we're going to talk about when we talk about the All-ACC team here in a little bit, I mean, he was just he was just strapped. I mean, there was just no way around it. I mean, he struggled from the field. They couldn't really seem to get him going. Um, and, and I really feel like putting uh, Perantis on him allows London to both be more physical because he's not playing a guy who who is bigger than him. I'm mean, excuse me, smaller than him, and, and therefore he's got to be worried about getting around him. But it also to play to the one sh- the one negative that London has as an offensive player is that he never seems to get the benefit of the doubt on calls. But in this game, he was the defensive guy who could get the benefit of the doubt on not being called because it just didn't look right, right? Because Justin Jackson's long and, and, and bigger than him. So it just always looked like Justin Jackson was just struggling. So, and, I, and I do think that London was much more aggressive and bodied him up, I mean, in a way that, I mean, look, if he plays like that defensively, Virginia's going to have a lot of success uh, the rest of the way. I kind of feel like I wasn't surprised to see them win those two games. It was the manner in which they won them. I, I thought that offensively, NC State is a team – that if you're not right can can really hurt you, um, mainly because they do have a lot of talented guys. And look, it's a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Talented kids sometimes play well, um, even together when when it's a train wreck. And I thought Virginia did a great job of answering every little run that State made in that half. And I think if anything, we all focus so much on like the ball going through the basket, but maybe the 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 kind of uh, psychological benefit that Ferber was talking about, maybe even more than that, was just the way that they answered right. And that's exactly what they did against Carolina. Whenever Carolina would make a little bit of a run, Virginia would make a little bit of a run. And I thought that that was something that they – a lesson maybe that they took um, from Raleigh on Saturday. Um, look, the defense has to be good. I don't know if it can be consistently as great as it was the other night. But, listen, that effort, certainly to see guys like – I mean, look, Isaiah Wilkins is out there. I mean, he's – if he was 70%, I, I, would, I would be somewhat shocked. I mean, you watch that video. I mean, he's struggling. Um, even though he said it didn't hurt to talk. Uh, he was definitely struggling. And to see him you know, helping out on the boards the way he did against a team as long as Carolina was, um, I just feel like that that's something they can take a lot of confidence from. I'm almost, I, I almost wish that they had a game t- you know, tonight versus Saturday night because they're, they're, they've gotten themselves into a good rhythm, but maybe the rest and, and, and stuff is a good thing. Um, the matchup with Pitt, the, you know, a rematch of one of the weirdest games that Virginia has played in a number of years, um, do, how, confident, how confident do we feel about the Cavaliers going into this game considering that the emotional component is different now, right? Now they're almost like, they're, I don't want to say they're back, right? But they are definitely in a place where they're now the perceived uh, favorite to win this game versus everybody kind of, the world kind of doubting them. And I've always felt like uh, us against the world is the greatest storyline in sports. It's always the greatest motivator. How do we feel about Saturday's matchup with Pitt and, and where, do we, where do we have some, some heartburn in that, Dave? We'll start with you. What are you, what are you feeling 
uh, for this matchup against the Panthers. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. As confident I've been going into any game over the last few weeks. Um, like the senior night, we've got one senior and he starts anyway, so we don't have to worry about you know that thing. And he's going to be emotional. I think the team's going to be fired up. Um, you know, it's a noon start, which I, I don't know. You know, noon starts tend to take away some of the home crowd advantage over a later start. But look, Pitkin hit shots, but you know, look, I, I don't really have any fear that Virginia will lose this game. I wouldn't be surprised if it's tight late because that's kind of what Virginia does. But um, I feel pretty confident. Well, I feel like if Pitt comes in and shoots the way that they did uh, in the first one game, yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a struggle. But I think the challenge that they provide is actually an interesting one. The thing about Carolina is they are very dependent on a couple of things. They're very dependent on rhythm, okay, and which is even though they're good, at, they're taking on spurts. I think above all, they need they need that comfort level, and when you can really body them up defensively. Um, it, it, it does mess with them. But I also feel like Carolina is a team that needs pieces to fit together. They need the guards and the wings and the bigs to fit into a nice little triangle. Not saying they run the triangle offense. I'm just saying that they fit. That, that things have to fit for them. Pitt is a completely different animal. It's like five dudes that look almost exactly the same. Troop, you know, as, as Dave has, has talked about lately a lot in the text thread with us, like positionless basketball. And that's going to be tougher. I think, for Virginia. What's interesting to me is that Tony Bennett went into this game against Carolina with easily his smallest starting lineup, right? Can he, can he afford to do that considering, the, like, how do, you get, how do you get Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy more minutes in this game, right? Um, you're going to need guys to, one, uh, you're going to need your bigs to play, and you're also going to need them to play more nimbly. Now, I think the fact that Di- Mamadi Diakite is playing uh, much better basketball is certainly a good thing, and that uh, if he can stay on the floor, I mean, look, that that one block he had where he hedged and he was down, um, I mean, that is the this that is literally the quintessential what expectation of what Virginia should have for a big. Like that's what they need, a guy who can cover that space. And when they are when they get that, they are they are scary. So so Pitt's going to present some some serious challenges because look, they they got nothing to lose. They're just going to jack a bunch of shots. I mean, that's that's ultimately um, you know part of who they are. What about you, Ferber? What are your expectations for Saturday? I mean, I I can't say that I expect them to shoot like they did last time because that was absurd. Um, and I think on the road, I mean, UVA is going to have a pretty good shot. Has has Pitt won a road conference game this year? Uh, you keep talking, and I'll look that up. Yeah, I don't I don't think they have. Um, they they might have beaten BC on the road. Now that I think about it, but um, I mean. This, uh, after winning, you know, the heartburn over the last few weeks, beating North Carolina, it would be hard to see them coming back and losing to Pitt at home. But um, a Pitt team that has really not nothing to play for at this point except for pride. Um, this game is really huge for UVA for seeding and everything like that too. So, I mean, I think um, the motivations there, the fact that they're at home, obviously is a help. And, and, and I can't imagine that they're going to drop two games to Pitt in one season. But – I mean, crazier things have happened, but it's I, I'm I'm not really sweating this one. If they lose this one, then I think they have bigger problems than than losing to Pitt. <laughs> I think the one thing, the one interesting kind of nugget in this is that if this was Clemson, I would be worried about them losing because if they had gone to Clemson and, and and basically beaten them and then come back later and then they played them the second time and then was this game, considering what has happened now, they've they've won two in a row after losing four in a row. But I think the fact that it's Pitt keeps them 
mentally in a very different place. There's a revenge angle. There's a there's not just a hey, this is senior night and we we want to do this da da da. But I think there's also there's a revenge angle to it, um, and, and I think that's certainly something um, that that can keep your attention more when you're when there's a retribution factor. Um, I'm trying to think back to what what we talked about last week on the podcast, and I, Dave made a comment. <laughs> Was it bef- was it during the Carolina game or after the Carolina game that you wondered if Tony listened uh, to the podcast or? Oh, I uh, think it was after. Yeah, but I mean, I, I it was tongue in cheek. No, I know it was. No, no, I'm not trying to say. <laughs> I'm not trying to like break news and say Tony Bennett listens to our podcast. But I was what I, where I was going with that was like I, I genuinely. I mean, we had a. I had. I remember a couple of rants that I had, and I think they were mostly stream of consciousness. I, I kind of like like Will Ferrell and um in yeah, that's a second Will Ferrell reference. Uh, old well, in old school, where you just kind of like black out, and all of a sudden, what? So, like, what did we actually say last week that may have been applicable? You think, Dave? Like, what? What did we talk about? I remember reading uh, Ferber's manifesto, um, which I thought was was very very spot on. Um, but I don't I, I don't really remember much of. Uh, uh, did we make any? I remember saying they needed to go small and they needed to live with that. Um, I remember yeah. saying they needed to put more offense on the floor and, and they would just have to, to score through it. Uh, I d- certainly didn't expect for them to put more offense on the floor and get better defensively. Um, but what do, you, what, what do you feel like maybe some of that – not necessarily – look, again, I'm not saying anybody actually listened and took our advice. I'm saying how did we look like, um, like uh, soothsayers uh, dropping stuff? Where, where do you feel like some of that kind of came to fruition? I mean, I think it was the last couple of weeks just you, know, you, you kind of made comments about you know, every many, every minute, Mamadi's on the floor is an investment in the future, um, and, and you saw that because I think he's literally getting better as the game goes on. The longer he plays, um, he's like we we know he struggles with English, but you know, not speaking English. But sometimes he struggles understanding. Um, and even against that Carolina game, he made a couple mistakes early that he fixed. Like he had the same thing happen later, and he didn't do it. Um, and then, you know, I think we had talked about. Um, you know, giving Kyle some of Darius's minutes and, you know, just kind of, you know, seeing how things go and simplifying, um, you know, kind of simplifying the offense because I think one of the things, just listen to the old podcast, but no, I think one of the things um, we had talked about was how complex this offense can be and then you continue to substitute guys out and they don't know what they're doing. Um, you know, it, you need to be able to read and react to each other. That's what makes the blocker mover so good and you know so hard to defend when you've got five guys who understand what the other guy's doing. Um, but yeah, going back to you know, the last couple games, it doesn't hurt that you make more shots. Like look, we had open shots in, in some of those games we lost. Um, it's a lot better when Kyle Guy's taking five to seven three pointers than Darius Thompson or Muriel Shayok. No offense to those guys, but your percentages of making them are going up. And I mean, he scored, what, I think seven? I can't remember how much he scored against NC State, but I think he had five threes in each game. He when, did. When your team scores less than 70 and he's scoring at least 15, um, that's going to help, especially when you consider who's, who's, whose minutes he's taking. So, yeah. I think Sometimes other- just making shots makes you better, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hashtag I mean, analysis. The thing is really going to come around, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, the one thing that I will say too is that you know what Virginia really needs. Virginia really needs to, for me to put in a piece of gum uh, at the beginning of the game and then just chew it all game long because I got superstitious somewhere in the middle. And by the end of that game, that gum tastes like trash. But you know what? It it was for the good of the order. 
Um, I, I think my sister, who does not listen to the podcast, uh, but does follow the guys going on Twitter account, I think she has, has basically sworn off watching because like there was like a five-minute stretch somewhere once where she wasn't watching and they did well, so now she can't watch, but she can only check. Um, I, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of superstitious stuff or what, you know, what voodoo um, kind of got them back right. I guess the question, the last one before we move over to um, the, you know, the All ACC. Actually, I do have one more question before we get into it, but I want to, I, I want to finish on this topic too. Um, the, where do do we think that they they are back right? Um, do have we? I, I realize it's two games, so I, we're going to have some projection here, right? But do we feel? Do we, have we seen enough to feel comfortable? And I guess let's let's get. I don't want to give it like a number, but give me some sense of how comfortable you feel thinking Virginia is back, so to speak, uh, where kind of where the Cavaliers need to be in order to to be the team that we kind of expected them um, to to, to kind of develop into. Ferber, let's start with you. H- do you feel confident yet in that they're back? And if not, if so, talk to me about why. Uh um, you, did you say a number between one and ten? No, no, I said I actually. Well, if you want to give a number, that's fine too. I, I, I would. Yeah, just, I don't, I don't know how to put that. Um, no, no, good. Okay, I was actually saying we didn't have to put a number or a percentage. Oh yeah, I, I got you. I just misunderstood. Um, I would say I feel pretty good about it, but it doesn't make it permanent, and I know that. So it's not like a binary thing where they're a good team or a bad team. Like they can have good games where the bad kind of shows up, and if it shows up at the wrong time, they could be in a bad, you know, a bad spot. Um, but I think that they have figured some stuff out on the offensive end, and I think the confidence level is going up. Um, the thing that's unfortunate now is that you're running out of games to play with, as far as like getting yourself right. So it's good that they're getting themselves right now, but any more lulls and their season ends, you know? So, I mean, it's basically single elimination for every game after Saturday. And I mean, you can, you can lose a game in the ACC tournament and it's not the end of the world, but if you lose a game, in the NCAA tournament, it's the end of your season. So, um, I think the time for consistency is definitely now, but, um, I feel, I mean, obviously better than you felt a week ago, but, um, at the same time, like I said earlier, you can't just ignore the fact that these things happened. And I, I mean, that always has to be in the back of their minds, um, especially, you know, when they have a lead, like you said, like the other night, you know, if they have a lead late in games, you can't just take your foot off the pedal because they've shown that a little run of bad offense mixed with a few, you know, fouls or, or, or made threes can turn into a loss really quickly. So, I mean, I don't know if there is really a back. I think it's more like they're just playing better than they were before. That's fair. I, I would agree with that. I think my 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 thing to say that they're back would be if they were if I was seeing Isaiah Wilkins making that you know fifteen footer on the baseline, and they were getting and they were shooting a little bit better from the free throw line, and they were still getting shots. You you felt at times during the Carolina game like they were they were very boomer bust, right? There were stretches where like the offense looked great, and then there were stretches where you were like, oh man, this is this is a slog. So I think it's more about consistency offensively. I feel like the defense is was that, that like that Carolina game was such a high watermark, right? I mean the scrap they were playing was just was just tough. I mean they were they were they were at every shot, they were every catch. I mean they just, you just felt like Carolina was being smothered, um, and that's that's something we haven't seen much of this season. Um, can they do that consistently? I think that's my question too. Um, it's not just to me about the offense getting back right. It's about the way that the, the there's this there's this precarious balance with this team between like that their offensive 
output is enough to give their it give them the energy they need to play the defense the way they need to play it. And I almost felt like in that Carolina game, the way that they responded to that first Carolina run, they go on that little spurt, it, it set the tone for the rest of the game. And it's interesting to me that they were down. Like, I think everybody's like, oh, man, we got to have a great start. Well, they had a horrible start, right? They're down like, what was it, 7 nothing, And then they go on a 12-0 run. Now, it really was a game of runs, that one was. But in a lot of ways, I feel like that run made it so that Virginia believed in itself. And I'm curious if that's something that can, they can take forward, more so maybe than us thinking like they got right in Raleigh. Um, so I, I'm not ready to say they're back. I'm, I'm certainly... Um, I'm certainly skeptical on some level, but I also think that there is some good evidence to say that they're on their way there. But I agree with, completely with what Ferber said. Like you're at that point now where, where you're, you're you don't have you know enough games to really get yourself you know back right. But one good thing about it is they're pro- they're they're clearly going to play an extra day uh, in the ACC tournament that they they historically don't haven't played in recent years. So I think you know in some ways that's an extra game, but it's also extra mileage on guys who are pretty tired. Uh, Dave, what about you? Do you feel like uh, you've seen enough to think that this team is back? And if not, if so, talk to me about why. I mean, I guess it depends on what you're comparing it to. I mean, I don't know that the team is as good as we thought they might have been, you know, leading up to the Villanova game and coming right out of it. Um, but I don't think they're definitely not as bad as they were during the four-game losing streak. It's it's a team that relies on the jump shot. Um, which makes them a team that's going to be inconsistent. Also makes them a team that's unlikely to win the championship without some post presence. Um, but it is weird. You talk about, it almost seems like this team feeds off others success. Like if one guy's struggling, everyone struggles shooting the three. And then when one guy gets hot, it seems like everyone gets hot. So it is very much a team that you know once Kyle started making the shots like you could see the whole team's attitude change you know London gets fired up when London's fired up everyone gets gets going so I mean this is a team you know, going small um certainly showing the versatility to be able to go small um you know puts more scores on the floor and obviously I don't th- I don't think we expect them to hold every opponent to 43 points moving forward but the fact that they can play defense in that small lineup gives them some more options going forward, allows them to keep more offense on the floor. Um, and every minute that Kyle plays and gets better on defense and earns Tony's trust, look, I don't want to build the team around one guy, but we're a much different team when you have a shooter like that on the floor. Yeah. No, I, and I don't think you're building around one guy. You're building it around an idea, which is offense. They, they are better when they, when they have more playmakers. I was listening to a podcast earlier today, um, I, I don't know how familiar you, you guys are or, or our listeners are with uh, Malcolm Gladwell, but basically uh, it, on his podcast, he was talking about um, uh, the idea of it was actually a, a, the topic was related to public education, excuse me, to higher education and and the way that a lot of um, a lot of philanthropists are giving lots of money to schools that basically don't need it. Right. And so what he was saying is, is that that's not really making an impact on 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 actual education because you're not putting the, the resources where you need them. And the reason I bring this up now is because he was talking about how uh, soccer versus basketball, that soccer is a weak link sort of sport, meaning that, yes, you might have uh, Lionel Messi, uh, who is basically the Jordan of soccer, Ferber, correct me if I'm wrong, and he can do amazing things with the ball. But one mistake by somebody else on the pitch and, 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 his, and his greatness is wiped away. But basketball is a, is a strong link 
kind of sport because one dude who is a superstar can make every all the difference because he can play both offense and defense. Uh, he can control the game in ways that you just can't in any other sport. And you rely so much less so you were on a lesser degree on other guys because you can play only five guys at a time. They play both offense and defense, and you don't have to go deep into your bench. Uh, you know, you don't have to play guy number thirteen, for example, unless you absolutely you know there's foul trouble and dudes get you know busted giblets and whatnot. The reason I bring that up is because one thing that Virginia has done a good job of is they've done a good job of stocking the pond with talent. What they haven't done a good job of is bringing in like uber talented. Uh, kids and and sometimes basketball comes down to somebody go make me a play and I feel like for a lot of Virginia guys over the years it's come down to they need somebody else to help them make that play so like when you have a group mindset that's great and a lot of times that's going to be that's going to carry you but there are going to be those times when you just need some dude to hit a three at the end of a shot clock over a dude who has a seven foot whatever wingspan and that's what Kyle Guy did now I'm not trying to say that Kyle Guy is Lionel Messi or anything I'm just saying that a, a transcendent sort of talent, in, even in specific areas like shooting, like Kyle Guy, Ferber made this observation the other night, he doesn't need to have like the same sort of catch and shoot. Like he can, he can shoot that thing a whole bunch of different ways in a whole bunch of different spots in the floor without much time at all. I mean, his, his, that was one thing I really appreciated from my time in Raleigh was, was you know, luckily the, the media seats there are close to the floor or close to the, excuse me, close to the, the, the action on, from the floor. And, like, you can really get an appreciation for how fast he gets his shot off that, that close. And so I think one of the things about Guy is he brings this sort of extra element to the table. And, yeah, it's like Mommy it's like in some ways, right? You're going to have moments where you give up something. Um, but I think Tony Bennett said it best the other night. He said it was time. It was time for him to look to his playmakers to go make him some plays. And that's exactly what I felt like Guy did the other night. My question is going to be consistency. That's the hardest thing to learn at this level. The transition is tough. Can he go out there and be consistent enough for this team? Um, I think Saturday is actually going to be a very interesting sort of data point for us because I think it answers the question whether or not they're back. If they win that game, they win it with some authority, uh, and they're able to, to get you know similar uh, efforts from guys offensively and they're able to still play pretty good D and they're able to keep Pitt off the three-point line, then you know what? You, I think you can feel pretty comfortable about it. Now, that's an understanding that Pitt's the worst team in the ACC basically, right? Um, I know that their their record right now, they've won two more games than Boston College. They're currently at least tied with NC State, who is playing right now. But I'm just saying that that's, that's a bad team. So I, I know I'm, 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 I'm make, maybe not sounding like I'm making sense because I'm saying a game against one of the worst teams in the league is going to tell you something about UVA. But I'm basing that off of also their game against the best team in the ACC. So I kind of feel like Saturday will give us a lot um, – give us a much better feel for if we can really answer this question uh, with any sort of, uh, of, of authority. The last thing I want to get into before we talk all ACC is that London Perantis is going to end his Virginia home career on Saturday um, as a Cavalier. He's going to, as, as he, he needs how many more wins? What's the, what's the number? I, I, I apologize for not knowing this beforehand. He is at least close to, to being Virginia's most winningest player. Um, in school history, uh, he, he, in terms of starts, I believe he is he tied for first. He's somewhere in that in that discussion as oh, well. He's first now. He's first. Okay. Um, I, I know that four years ago when Virginia signed him, uh, a lot of us probably thought um, because at that point they already had Devin Hall and Ferber and I were talking about this the other night in the media room. Like it was funny because at the time it was we thought Perantis would be the one to redshirt. We didn't think Hall would be the one to redshirt. 
Um, what has what I want to talk about real quickly is what has London Perantes's career sort of meant to you, and do you feel like he set the standard for what Virginia point guard should be, or do you feel like there were some missed opportunities over the years because he was never maybe a bigger portion of the pie? He was he was always a stir, the the straw that stirred the drink, but he wasn't necessarily the the main ingredients in the drink itself. How do we feel about uh, about London's career, Dave? We'll start with you. What, what what's your 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 general feel on on number thirty two. I mean, it feels like he's been here eight years. Um, I know some of that's getting older, and the fact that the last you know four years of basketball have look. I I was alive during the Ralph Sampson years, and I remember the games, but it wasn't. <laughs> it didn't mean as much to me back then. If that makes sense, I was just a kid, and I thought, hey, Virginia's good every every year. Um, so. You know, it's been he's been a part of a very special run, and you know, as far as the player, he he was the perfect point guard for the last three teams. Um, everything, and that's not to slight what he's doing this year, but when you look at the pieces we had in place his first three years, he was he was the straw that that drink needed. Um, you didn't need a point guard who was going to dominate the ball. You you had players who could do that. You need someone who could who could facilitate and still be at his peak if he didn't get a high number of shots. And that's, I think, a part of, we've seen some of that this year, that that's kind of his better role. Um, we had talked in the preseason, you know, I was kind of excited to see London without, you know, be the big dog. Um, look, it's the ACC, it's a tough league full of really good guards and a guard-driven game right now. And his, you know, he doesn't have the elite athleticism, so he can't, he's, you know, he can't break you down off the dribble easy and our offense doesn't really allow it. So, um, I don't know if he's the perfect model for the, for every point guard you'll see for Virginia going forward because every team's going to be a little different. Um, but it's going to be really weird not seeing him here next year. And, you know, Ty's got some really big shoes to fill because even, even with what, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say a senior season has been disappointing, um, but I really thought he could be a 15 to 20, you know, I won't say 20 points in our offense, but 15 plus point a game guy and, and really be the focus. Um, and maybe he could be if we had other pieces around him, but the pieces we have this year, he just can't be that guy. Um, that said, if, if I had to rank, I would rank him ahead of Singletary in my personal book, but, um, that's not because I think he's a better player than Singletary. It's just because I think team results matter. Herbert, what about you? Where, where, what are, you, what are your your thoughts on the on the London Perantes era uh, at UVA coming to an end? Um, interesting. You know, mine's a little different. I guess like the first game I ever covered for Cavs Corner was his first game. Um, the first he was the first person I interviewed. Um, so it kind of that feels like so long ago now, but. Um, I mean, it does feel like the end of an era in a way, and I kind of brought that up to you guys a couple weeks ago. Um, it sort of feels like the, like he's the last bastion of that first team that won the ACC in 2014 because that felt like the beginning of an era, and I feel like he still is a callback to that team because obviously he was the point guard on that team. Um while while this team is very different and and this is kind of like a a, a bridge year in a way, um, I mean he was kind of the he's been here for all of it. He doesn't really know anything but winning, 
and that's kind of rare in a UVA basketball player anyway. But, um, I mean, he's kind of set the standard, I think, for um, the type of guy that doesn't really hunt his own shot a whole lot. And maybe he should have done that a little bit more this year. But, I mean, he's a selfless player. Um, he fits in with the scheme. He, he didn't never really – I never felt like he was trying to do too much. Um, he made some big shots too. I mean, even as a freshman. And that's kind of the thing that sticks with me the most even now was how many big moments he had early in his career when he could have easily just been a guy that was along for the ride. I mean, I remember in that Syracuse game that they won the ACC regular season title, he hit like a 30-footer. Um just busted the zone and, and made a big shot. Um, I mean, and that was the kind of stuff he was capable of doing, um, all, I mean, throughout his career. And I think, you know, he might go like 10 years from now, people will look back on Brogdon and Joe Harris to a degree and Justin. And I hope that he is kind of remembered with those guys because he's been just as big of a part of this in, in a lot of, I mean, in different ways. But um, I, I don't know if they could be there with where they – where they ended up without his steadying presence. Um, I mean, especially, I mean, the, one of the things I remember is when Justin got hurt a couple years ago, that Wake Forest game where he tried so hard to play, but he couldn't play. Um, and people were, I mean, people were just as worried about that injury as they were about anybody else because they understood like what his role in the team was and what he meant to the team. And, and uh, I mean, it's, point guards like him you can't just take for granted i mean guys that understand where everybody's supposed to be and and can facilitate but also score i mean that's a rare combination so like uh, like tave said uh, ty jerome has a lot to live up to it's funny you mentioned the wake force game i was actually thinking as dave was answering what are my what are my top memories and it's funny because all three of them came on the road which dave is always joking on me because he'll, he'll say like i need to stop going to road games because they always lose when i go on the road my, my my favorite London memory is that Wake Forest game where I remember he he had if folks recall that was after he had busted his nose um, in the uh, well who who did he collide with did he collide with with Brogdon? it was a Florida State player I yeah think. No, no, no 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 he 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 connoted with, he ran into Brogdon yeah he ran into Brogdon and and broke his nose and and he had a, I don't know if he had a concussion or what so they play Florida State. Uh, three days later, they go to Winston-Salem, and he is, I, I mean, I, from the time I got to the arena, I mean, he is stewing mad. I mean, you can just look at him and tell he's pissed off. And he's, not, he's mad because he's not going to play. And he did everything he could. He lobbied every single staff member to, vow, to just let him play. And he even at one point told the staff, hey, listen, my jersey's hanging up in the locker room. If at any point you need me, just give me the signal, and I'll run back there and change. Like, he was that pissed off about not being able to play for that team. Um and to this day, I still think that, like, as ridiculous as that was, because, um, <laughs> you know, what did they end up smacking Wake Forest that night? It was like 70 to 30-something. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was pretty impressive that, he, that, that that was his dedication, I guess, to the team. The other two were, were, were road games, probably his two best games as a, as a Wahoo. The, the one in the double overtime game in Miami down at Coral Gables was one of my – um, first, like I guess, uh, experiences with him where I was like, oh, oh, okay, like this this kid's he's really he's really got it. That was his sophomore year. He went for what twenty six in that game was like uh, like five of nine from three and eleven of twelve from, from on the free throw line. I mean, he w- he carried him that night, and um, that was a tough one. Uh, and and it, I remember that place was warm. Um, you know, it's Miami in, in early January. 
um, you know, it was late, um, and it was just a it was a it was a gutty effort. And that's the same thing he did down in Clemson this year. You know, I mean, I, I just felt like it was one of those games where uh, I instinctively pick up my pen to, when when guy, certain guys take shots. And London he got into the place where every time he he got ready to shoot, I was picking up the pen. Um, and and every he would make these he was making these shots, and I just kept saying, "Damn." You know, just like it's just impressive to to watch a guy when he's cooking, and I, I kind of see where Dave's going with with what he was saying earlier. You know, you 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 don't want to undermine like it doesn't undermine like what he did at UVA or certainly the 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 legacy he leaves because I think Ferber's right. He he is that last bastion of that of of that of that older era. This is a transitional year in a lot of ways, um, and I do I I think a lot of us wondered, okay, what's he going to be when he, when he's the guy, and I think that. Getting them through some of the ups and downs. Certainly, look, we have to remember that that he lost a key piece, and I'm not. This is not excuse building. I'm just. This is just reality. I mean, he lost basically the guy he probably was going to throw the ball into the most, and that changed everything. And there's no way around that. He had to be a different player, even more so than the different player he was planning to be when the season, you know, was was about to get started. So I feel like in some ways, you know, his his senior year will be remembered. By some, as as you know, this was a rebuilding year, and in a lot of ways, maybe it was. But considering what I think Virginia had to, what Virginia lost, and what and some of the, the the deficiencies on this team, you know, he he had to continue to 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 shoot through it. He had a, a horrible stretch, and 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 clearly his 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 story is still yet to be written. You know, he could go, he could get into a groove the next few weeks, and and really make some 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 long lasting memories. But ultimately. I think that he'll be remembered as the guy who who helped, as as Ferber was saying, who helped really put Virginia basketball where where everybody hoped it would be, where to the point where when they lose a couple in a row, all of a sudden you start to get really mad, you know. I mean, when 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 losing you know seven or eight games in a season or an ACC play is like a big deal, um, mainly you know if you think back to it, what his uh, his his sophomore year was that the year that they they lost one game for like three months. Um, which was kind of astounding. I just feel like he was he was he was such a winner, uh, and certainly brought a lot to the table. Um, and, and like I said, regardless of how things go from here on, I think he should be remembered as one of the better, uh, best players at Virginia all time. Certainly going to be one of the most winning. Uh, last thing before we we wrap up tonight, I, I, I kind of have a feeling this might be a short discussion because I wonder if we're not all on the same page when it comes to the first team All ACC. Um, Spoiler alert, well, I don't think any of us are going to put any Virginia players on this list. Um, consistency is sort of a, uh, a an issue there. But we're going to pick our, our five. Uh, do we want to give our five and then kind of talk about uh, talk about them after we kind of give them? I was thinking maybe we would all three give our five and then kind of discuss them uh, after that. Let's do that. I think you're the host of this podcast. I, I can kind of do what I want. Okay, well, that's what we're doing. All right, uh, Ferber, who, who are your five for the, uh, for the All-ACC team? All right, my five are, and I try to build a real lineup. I don't just go like five guards or whatever. Okay. Um, my five are Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard, Justin Jackson, Bonzi Colson, and John Collins. That is exactly my five. <laughs> Dave, are, is how about that, that? Is that your five? Uh, four of the five. That second guard spot. I, yeah, I had like five guys I kept trying to put into that spot. So, you know. Um, I like Andrew White a lot. I, I just didn't know if he did enough to deserve first team. And yeah. then Artis and Young had great scoring years where the team was terrible. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tried to make it a debate, but it really isn't much of a debate. I mean, four locks, and I think one you could maybe debate. But yeah, yeah, I think I think you guys are right. 
Um, See you later. <laughs> yeah. Peace out. Um, all right. In that case, I would say let's let's do player of the year. Um, play, overall player of the year. My overall player of the year, and I'm not going to shy away from it, is John Collins from Way Forest. And I don't. I know Luke Kennard and Justin Jackson have had really strong seasons. Luke Kennard's played like every minute of the last like three Duke games. Uh, Justin Jackson has some has put together a very nice season. Um, but you look at John Collins's numbers, and not just that, but like. Every team knows what they're going to get, and he still like every team knows you got like you got to defend Justin Jackson. Well, you also got to defend Joel Berry and Kennedy Meeks and Theo Pinson and and, and all these dudes. You got to defend Luke Kennard, but you also got to defend Grayson Allen when he's healthy, and you got to worry about Frank Jackson, and you got to worry about Jason Tatum. Who who else you worried about from Wake Forest? And that dude still gets numbers. So that's that was basically my my rationale when it came to looking at uh, at John Collins. I mean, as I went through the numbers, what is he leading? The, he's leading the league in, in field goal percentage. Um, I, I think he's uh, he's he's among the 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 top what five in scoring. He's yeah, uh, top like second five. In rebounds. Yeah, he's top <laughs> five in boards. Uh, he's he's also really good. Um, uh, at at I think he's among the the block shots leaders right yeah he's tied for third yeah. so I mean like listen man like that's come on that, that to me that, you know uh, and he's also the best offensive rebounder in, in the league too so to me I, that was why I would I would give the edge to to to, to John Collins who remains the player I wish UVA had uh, Ferber player of the year for you and why uh, that's kind of funny actually I was not expecting that from you. Really? Well, what's funny is that I am not a I am definitely not a good player on a bad team kind of guy. But dude, when you put up the kind of consistency, like if you're going to lead the league in field goal percentage and also be as as adva- as it's not just a scoring title. You know, that was the that was my problem um which which one was it? Was it Eric Green? Green? Yeah, like I'm not I look scoring to me is important, but when you're on a bad team, you got to do more than that. You know, like I I was like I was shocked to find that 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 Dennis Smith Jr. leads is the best assist guy in the, in the league. Would not have expected it. But like John Collins' numbers are just so consistent to me. I think that plus the fact that Wake Forest was on the bubble, like if they had been pit level bad, I probably wouldn't have been able to get myself there. But his consistency across the board is just kind of staggering if you if you really think about it. I mean, what's his what did he is he still on that streak of like 11 billion games with 20 points? Hold on. I think so, yeah. He's got he's had 20 points in every single Wake Forest game since January the 11th. All right? January That's the 11th. Insane. That's nuts. He's had he's had a double-double, one, two, two he's had two double-doubles in there. He's he's played better than 30 minutes or so in in pretty much half of those games. I mean, come on, man! Like that's that, that to me. I don't. Th- I, I mean, honestly, the more I looked into it, the more I'm like, this one actually is a no-brainer. Uh, but anyway, sorry, I, I totally just made a second case for my pick. <laughs> who did who did you have, Ferber? It's funny. It, the reason I said that is because on Monday I kind of was trying to make a case for him, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm going with Jackson." I was, and then and then London Perondas put the clamps on him. Yeah. Right. So, and since then he's had a what he he he's he, he's is yeah I know he's playing tonight right in 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 Wake playing right now. I don't know right. what they're doing, but. Um, yeah, I, 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 I did my research and I proved myself wrong. Yeah. So I went with Jackson actually. <laughs> and we've now, and we've now flipped, uh, sides of the, uh, yeah, of the, but it was basically a toss up. Um, I mean, and I think, I, I think I would have Kennard and Colson kind of like behind them. Um, I went with Jackson just because I don't know if they'd be where they are without his kind of, I don't want to say Renaissance cause he was never this good, but um, the development that he's shown from last year to this year, I think, has been pretty impressive. 
And, um, I mean, considering what they lost last year, and obviously they did bring back a lot of talent, but um, I think he stepped up in ways that I kind of expected Joel Berry to step up. Um, And, I mean, I think that – I mean, and and even like – I mean, I don't know if you're in touch on Coach of the Year or not, but I think what Carolina's done this year has been pretty impressive. I mean, obviously they're very talented, but I think Jackson has been – you know, a huge part of that. And um, I always try to reward people on good teams. I mean, obviously Collins, like I wouldn't rule him out because they're in, they're a competitive team in the league. The Eric uh, Green situation was a little different because they were the worst team in the league. Um, so, I mean, I could definitely make a case for Collins as well. And I think he is definitely deserving. Um, I just went with Jackson because I feel like a lot like Malcolm Brogdon last year, he, he's kind of doing the things that are necessary for that Carolina team to go from a good team to a great team. And, and I think that he's kind of elevated himself to a primary scorer for a team that played for a national title last year. And he was probably like the fourth guy on that team. And now he's the first guy. So right. um, that's my pick, but I mean, I could, I could definitely go with uh, Collins as well. All right, Dave, settle the, settle the, <laughs> you're the rubber match here. Either you pick, either you pick uh, John Collins or you pick some rando. Um, that, those, no, that's, that's your job. I'm actually going to go a little rando for one reason. Um, like I thought it was clearly Jackson heading into the Virginia game. Um, and maybe one game shouldn't, but Collins has been so good and Kennard is going to get some votes. So I, I personally think it should be Jackson. Just cause, look, Carolina has been known for their defense and for, all in all for this year, they've probably played the best season long defense. I've seen them play in the last five. Um, you know, they actually cared about playing defense and, uh, you know, look like they cared, um, which we can't say for them in the past couple of years. So, yeah, I think on that alone, I, I think it should be Jackson. But I think Colson's going to end up getting it just because you got three guys in Carolina. They're gonna split, um, yeah, they're going to split those yeah, votes. Yeah, they're going to split the votes. So yeah. Colson might sneak in there. Well, I don't, I don't sneak don't, around the chicken coop. Lord imagine. knows Dennis Smith is going to get some votes. That's true. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't imagine that there are going to be too many people voting who actually cover Notre Dame, but it, the, the vote the vote breakdown will, will be fun will be fun to see. Uh, I, I would imagine I would also say that Bonzi deserves some some love. I mean, like I, I, that's why I think the the, the the all ACC team is actually very easy to to pick this year. Now, like we joked about earlier, uh, among us, like trying to pick the second team would just be a fool's errand. Um, your defensive player of the year, I, I would go with Ben Lammers. I mean, if you look at block shots. Um, I, I mean, he seems to, seemed to me to be a key cog in a Georgia Tech defense that randomly could like really turn it on. Um, if would it surprise you to know that Georgia Tech is sixth nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency? Like that kind of blows my mind a little bit. And a lot of that I think is because Ben Lammers has had a good season. Um, there just wasn't a whole lot else out there. I, y'all joked uh, um, among us earlier that <laughs> that somebody's just going to look at Virginia's roster and go Devin Hall. <laughs> <laughs> because Virginia has the best defense. But um, I, to me, it would be Ben Lammers, and I, I don't know if it's necessarily close otherwise. What, what do you guys think? Who, who would be your defensive player of the year? Bert, let's start with you. I'm sorry. I, I got cut off there for a second. It's okay. It's okay. What was, was the question? I was saying, who who is your defensive player of the year? Um... As he pulls something um, from that. <laughs> nah, I'm just playing. Uh, I mean, I kind of <laughs> Dave kind of swayed me towards Devin Hall a little bit earlier. <laughs> um, so Ferber's going to be the guy who pulls up the Virginia roster and goes Devin Hall. 
Uh, yeah, Dave, yeah, I haven't really taken like a long look at that. Yeah, it's so. okay. Dave, what about you? I'm who, not most who, informed on. I mean, because uh... there's blocks and stuff like that that weigh in. Like a lot of people pick like the guy with the most blocks or steals. Um, so I don't know exactly who that person is. Dave, what about you? Where would you go? I think Hall has a good shot. I mean, I'm not joking. I, I think you're probably right. You're probably good Lammers, but um, I, I will say with 100% certainty, Dennis Smith Jr. will not win it. Yeah, okay. Well, he's he's clearly the rookie of the year. I think we all agree yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. And then let's yeah. do coach of the year. We'll wrap that up. I, I still think as, as much as I agree with what Ferber said earlier, Roy, you know, I don't think good coaches get enough credit. And I do believe team building is a part of coaching. Um, I, I don't know if they faced enough, you know, adversity. I mean, I would almost make a better argument for Kay as much as people will throw tomatoes at me, given uh, all of the issues he had with guys being, un, you know, being unable to see the floor and guys getting suspended indefinitely for one game. Um, but maybe that whole suspension thing would rule him out. But it, to me, it's Josh Pastner, and I don't really think it's close. Listen, that team is sixth nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency, man. Like, they're the third best defense in the ACC. Um, they ha- have really overachieved. And I know that that's a, that's, a, that's a tired narrative. People just go, oh, okay, how many games are you supposed to win? You won a lot more. Okay, well, you win. But, man, have you seen that team? Like, I, you don't want to play Georgia Tech. Like, yeah, they have, they have a lot of times where if, you, if you, you get a lead in the second half, they'll fold a little bit, and they're not very good at closing. But, man, that's a tough team to play, and they can throw out a bunch of stuff at you. They're just so markedly better from last year. It's hard for me to look anywhere other than Josh Pastor. Uh, Dave, what about you? Coach of the year, real quick. Agreed. I think it's Pastner. I mean, I've been impressed with him all year. Georgia Tech's eight and nine in the ACC right now. But that blows my mind <laughs> considering what they have. Um, I don't want to say it on the podcast, but I'm going to. If Virginia Tech wins out after losing Chris Clark, yeah, but okay, but no, 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 no. But listen, no, no, no. You know why? But it's not Buzz. You know why it's not Buzz? No, because, I'm just saying he's winning. I'm no, just no, saying no, no, he's no, had no. a but, good but year as a coach. He's not. I don't think he's even in the top three. I think it's 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 Pastner, Williams, and K. Listen, the the problem with Buzz is like, yeah, they lost Chris Clark, but they just been jacking threes since then. Like, if they had done that through consistently for a whole season, okay. But like, really, they they took they had a guy who wasn't a good shooter, took him off the floor because he can't play. And now they just—they're just making a lot of threes, and they're—they're they're winning games, yes, and they're making shots, yes. But I don't think it takes great coaching to put a bunch of dudes in there to shoot to j- jack a bunch of threes. Um, to me, like when when you're making, you know, look, Virginia Tech jacking a bunch of threes, they still—they're still barely a top twenty-five uh, offense right now. They're also a hundred and eleventh in defense. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I, I won't do it. Well, you know me. I, I love to say nice yeah, things you, about Hokies. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right, Ferber, uh, we're last one, last part of the the show here. What, what? Are, who's your coach of the year and why? Man, I already voted for Buzz once. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> um, I I go Pastner. Um, I thought about Roy a little bit just because I think you know it's whenever you can finish with a record like they've had in the league, I think that. Sometimes that goes – I mean, teams are always looking for the uh, – I mean, like Mike London won ACC Coach of the Year for football, and that was like a most improved. Um, I'm not always in favor of giving that a word out, but Georgia Tech was supposed to be so friggin' bad. So bad. And, you know, I mean, he told us in his press conference. Three different times. You know, he said he wasn't going <laughs> to win a game and in the conference, and they wouldn't win more than, you know, 20 games in two years total. And – and look what they've done already. I mean, that team is not just – they're not just 8-9 and nine against, like, a soft schedule. They're competitive. I mean, 
that's I've watched them play last night. They're not bad. Like they're not a bad team. Um, and Josh Pastner's kind of taking it on the chin throughout his career for having like undercoached some of those Memphis teams. But I mean, I, it's hard not to be impressed. I mean, the record kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, he's going to be fun to watch in Atlanta over the next few years. Um, so I think that's a great place to put a pin in it. We will obviously be back next week before the ACC tournament to talk about. Uh, where things are going into that. So we'll talk seeds and postseason, all all that fun stuff. So uh, I want to uh, say again, thanks everybody out there for giving us a listen. You can not only listen to us on the site, but also check out uh, Cast Corner uh, on all of your, your favorite podcast apps, regardless of what uh, device you use. Uh, just give us a search and we'll be there. I uh, want to thank Dave and, and Ferber for giving me uh, their, their time as always. Thank you very much for, for being on the show. Uh, so for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.